Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. And this is Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we take a look at the monsters and races of Dungeons and Dragons and compare them to their folkloric and mythological counterparts. Today we are going to be discussing the gnome, another small creature that, quite honestly, when I first saw it, I did not know why they would have a gnome and a halfling so similar together. I mean, yeah, the uh, the term big things come in small packages applies to our topic today, much like dynamite, which, you know, possibly a gnomish contribution to the realms. Uh, several different decent po- talking points on some of the world's small folk for sure. And, you know, it's funny that you say that because um, now this is not uh, information I have found myself, but just kind of a, a talking with others. Apparently, um, uh, at least according to a couple of my friends and at least one AI, <laughs> the um, Hobbit in the first edition... Uh, um, the gnome was actually like a sub-variant of Hobbit, oddly enough. You know, I could honestly see that being a, a case, if not the case. But while they're both considered parts of the Fae realm, so you know I had fun because the Fae is just so easy to learn, there's definitely a twist to the gnome that I think really shouldn't need to become hit hard on in the D&D realm. But as always, let's start with uh, the gnome as it grew up through its various editions, and then we'll move on to the uh, folklore aspect of it. Okay, yeah. And um, so... Um, first of all, uh, let's go over kind of like a descriptor. Uh, what is a gnome in the many realms of D&D? So, described as far back as first edition as diminutive human-like beings standing three to three and a half feet tall, highly intelligent and adaptable, making excellent wizards and thieves. And despite their small stature, these tiny humanoids possess a robust constitution and more than uh, their fair share of agility. Uh, gnomes are also known to have distinct physical features, uh, pointed nose, some larger, large and expressive eyes, prominent cheekbones. You know, you combine that with some uh, bushy eyebrows and wild locks, so, you know, ranging from red to blonde to brown, and even to have known to become in shades of like blue or green. Um, they are a small and sturdy race with a natural affinity to magic. And this uh, natural magical affinity causes their normally uh, tan, brown, and sometimes rosy complexions to uh, sometimes carry tints of green as well. Uh, With this natural affinity to magic, all gnomes, regardless of the class they choose, know a bit of magic. You know, uh, some can speak with the smaller woodland or burrowing creatures. Others manifest illusion-based magics with, with no formal training. And, you know, gnomes, much like the older, other older races, uh, dwarves and elves, they have a long lifespan, ranging, you know, three to five hundred years or so. So, is my uh, base description of the gnome in D&D anywhere close to the uh, lore you found? 
Well, definitely there with the uh, lifespan. And some of the complexions definitely hits there. They are uh, as widely varied as humans are. Uh, as for magical, well, there's definitely magic to them. Right, well, so gnomes are really one of the more popular um, player character races uh, amongst the realms, you know. Definitely ranking in top five as far as the many, many choices to go. Um, so why a gnome, you know? What is so special about these guys? Well, in a nutshell, uh, the intelligence boost, uh, at least in 5e, the uh, gnome uh, upon character generation gets a bit of a bump to in the intelligence ability score, regardless of what variant you choose. And that makes uh, you know, caster type classes or classes that uh, involve uh, the intelligence ability score or even just uh, maybe rely on some skill checks that are intelligence based, you know, you uh tend to be a little bit better at those making you know makes those classes more uh, tempting to take when you're when you're no of gnomish ancestry <laughs> uh, you add some dark vision and some gnomish cunning which amounts to advantage versus magic uh, uh, effects you know uh, on a plethora of saving throws and now you have the beginnings and potential for some greatness you know um there are a couple of variants. Um, I'm only going to talk about uh, a trio. Um, if if you go with the uh, uncommon, you are going with the the forest gnome variant. Uh, the forest gnomes uh, also gain the ability to speak with small beasts alongside the uh, cantrip uh, minor illusion, as as well as a slight boost to the dex ability score. Not bad. Not bad. You know. Uh, um, these kind of gnomes are known to like uh, use nature and illusion magics to maybe uh, hide their small forest home and, and just kind of be like hermits and recluses. They're, they're not really uh, sociable uh, all the time. Uh, the more common uh, uh, gnome is the rock gnome. And they say that you know, something like 80 to 90% of the gnomes within the realm are going to be rock gnomes. More likely than not, if you encounter a gnome, this is the one you're encountering. Um, you gain a little bit of uh, Artificer's Lore as the Rock Gnome variant, making it easier to handle magic items or alchemical objects or maybe technological devices. Uh, and you also have the ability to tinker, which allows you to construct a clockwork device for various purposes. And uh, also you get a slight boost to the a Constitution ability score. So uh, this is much uh, leaning more towards their uh, aptitude to master generalized tasks, you know, like tinkering and, and their long lifespan kind of uh, makes them uh, able to specialize. And, you know, it's, it gives it almost like a steampunk kind of vibe with uh, uh, these uh, clockwork devices they're kind of able to create. It's kind of cool, kind of fun, different, different uh, look on, on things as the gnome. Uh, but I think my favorite uh, um, variant, uh, finally, uh, bring us to, to the Deep Gnome, or the, uh, the Svrfneblin? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Svrfneblin. <laughs> uh, 
personally my favorite, as they uh, they seem to stand out more. The the underdark dwelling cousin to the surface dwelling rock and forest gnomes. Uh, some of the fun things to note are the use of stone camouflage with this variant. Uh, it gives you advantage on stealth checks made in, in rocky terrain, as well as a, a small handful of useful spells with their uh, innate spellcasting ability. Make this a super fun variant to play, particularly if you're in the Underdark. You combine that kind of stuff with a decent dex boost and your uh, a, a boost to your dexterity ability score, rather. And once again, you've got the makings of uh, uh, future greatness. <laughs> a few things that I like that stand out uh, uh, about the uh, Deep Gnome is that unlike other Underdark races or Underdark uh, you know, variants of races, they actually continue to maintain a good alignment. Uh, uh, not only that... <laughs> but they they outweigh their surface cousins by a lot. Uh, surface gnomes only average like 40 to 45 pounds. The Svirfneblin average over 100 pounds. And with not much adjustment in the, in the average height. So they're either much, much chunkier or just like a denser creature overall altogether. So that's kind of a kind of different. Um... Uh, any of those variants seem like they're they're hitting uh, on the head there with uh, uh, what you looked up? They all uh, touch a little bit on different aspects. Uh, I would say, though, based upon that description, I can very easily see why Gnome seems to be a very popular ch choice for anybody who wants to play an Artificer. Your spellcasting ability is intelligent, so you have that bump. Uh, you're crafting your magical items and spells, so that having all those tinkerer tools just... It really does seem like somebody wanted a gnome specialty class that came up with the Artificer just for it. I mean, yeah, kind of. The gnome fits the Artificer class well like perfectly really it's a it's a very they mesh well you know almost too well you know and and gnomes have certainly left their mark uh, upon the fantasy realms and have enriched them by doing so because you know the gnomish uh, uh ancestry i guess is claims some of the more talented alchemists engineers inventors and spellcasters among all of the races so, you know, aside from the many items, both both magical and mundane, gifted to the many realms by gnomish ingenuity, something else that they are known for that is kind of fun is uh, having a great many fancy and flowing names. <laughs> a first name, a last name, a clan name, maybe a nickname or two. You know, <laughs> you could be Bodyknock the Badger, Murnig Stumbleduck. You know, or a, or a Bimp Notten Garrick Ashhurst the Third, but but her friends call her uh, Double Lock. You know, <laughs> gnomes are actually known to to tone their names down a little bit amongst the other races. You know, in, in the gnomish culture, as far as uh, D and D goes, it is not uncommon to be given several names by several relatives or loved ones within the you know, uh, um, a clan or whatnot, so you know, a single gnome might have a, a dozen names or more, uh, but they try to uh, uh, tone it down to a specific few when dealing with the other races. Uh, with with all that being said, uh, I think that's probably all like all I got on our uh, small size hero topic today. Uh, gnomes are fun, intelligent, and versatile, uh, usually boasting a, a silly name alongside some form of mastered talents, and 
and rarely are any form of this race evil, which is surprising. You know, even the uh, mischievous uh, than devious, more mischievous than devious is what they say. Uh, and uh, not even their underdark variants are evil, which is very rare, you know, so it's kind of a, you know, they make excellent PCs and they've got tons of potential for tapping because, you know, when you've got a whole race of good folk, you know, you just kind of, uh, you're clamoring, you know, for, for the hero status or, you know, uh, anyway, uh, that's all I got. What did you uh, manage to find with your uh, looking up of the gnome? Well, first, uh, the long name thing just made me think of uh, Daenerys Targaryen, you know. Da Daenerys Targaryen, Khaleesi of the <laughs> her grasslands, Mother of Dragons, you know, with like 20 different names after that. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. She's gnomish, who knew? Alright, uh, so gnomes were popularized by a man named Paracelsus, and he was an alchemist who lived in uh, Switzerland in the 16th century. So gnomes are an alchemist uh, creature. So were you saying that they have proficiency in known with alchemical objects? It's like that just fits perfectly. Uh, in fact, with his book on alchemy, uh, he described that there were four elemental spirits. Uh, the spirits represented air, earth, fire, and water. Uh, he named them Sylph for air, Gnome for earth, Salamander for fire, and Undine for water. Uh, and so that's what you're getting with a gnome is an earth elemental spirit. And he probably based each of these off of a different creature that already existed. Uh, the Sylph were likely based on wood elves. The Undine, based on nymphs as popularized in Greek mythology. Salamanders are based on the characterizations represented by Pliny the Elder. And then for gnomes, he based them on pygmies. Uh, pygmy is a term used to describe a type of people where the average male is under five feet tall. And one of the, the major differences between people who are classified as pygmy versus others that have a genetic dwarfism is that their short stature is inherent in the population rather than a single person or family. In this way, the entire village is full of members who are short under that five foot tall variant. Uh, pygmy tribes have been found in Asia, Oceania, and more popularly, Africa. Uh, they did appear in Homer's The Iliad story. Uh, they were described as living in remote and mountainous areas. Uh, their popular story attributed them to their ongoing war with cranes. Not a tribe, but the birds. That story is a queen of the pygmies said she was more beautiful than the goddess Hera. And as we all know about mythology, boasting against a god never goes good for the person making the boast. As a result, somebody's going to get raped. <laughs> Thankfully, it's a goddess, not a god. So it, 
That's usually not on the table. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but instead, Hera transformed the queen into a crane, and since then, the pygmies would lead raids into the nest while riding on goats and rams. They would eat eggs and chicks to try and kill them off. Uh, so, no rape, but a murder of uh, trying to extinct an entire species of birds. <laughs> You know, I thought, you know, oh good, finally, the uh, Greek gods or Roman gods aren't aren't raping. And you know what, now we went from rape to genocide real quick, you know? They, <laughs> there's just no winning with those guys. They're, they're an awful volatile lot, you know? Yes, definitely uh, a lot more flawed than what you get with monotheistic traditions. But that's also why it's fun to study. Uh... The word, the name gnome is probably derived from the Latin word genomos, which means earth dweller. Uh, Paracelsus believed that the gnome was able to move through the earth as easily as fish can in water. And as long as they remained surrounded by their element, they would remain healthy. If they were too long away, in this case from uh, underground and stuff, they would sicken and die. And so seeing that the gnome can move through earth as freely as a fish through water, why don't gnomes in any of the editions basically have earth walk? I mean, I know the rock gnome variant allows you to move through uh, rocky terrain as so or normal, but I mean, what is it? Stone pass or stone melt or whatever i mean it's like that that's perfect for him <laughs> uh so gnomes became to be described as small and deformed taking the image of a gnarled old man um they have been described as being anywhere between six inches or three spread out hand widths and so i took my hand laid out my fingers and i measured from the tip of my pinky to the tip of my thumb on me that's about nine inches so times three 27 inches or two feet three inches as a max height so as i was saying uh they tend to put at the same height as a halfling at three and a half feet in D&D, but they were much, much smaller <laughs> in uh, the folklore traditions. And the other funny thing is that they get a strength nullifier, and I believe I recall uh, when I just did a little look that third edition gnomes actually got a negative to strength but in folklore they were considered to be seven times stronger than a man can run 35 miles per hour which neither one of us could do and have better eyesight than a hawk like D&D &D, I think really nerfed what a gnome could be Oh yeah, especially, I mean, the more modern editions kind of done away with the uh, negative uh, ability score modifiers. 
But basically, if you were a small creature in D&D, you got a negative ability score to strength, like, every time. If you were a, a small or ti a tiny creature, it was usually your strength was the score you had to sacrifice. And, and from a logical perspective, I mean, yeah, you know, you're small, you're weaker, something's bigger, it's stronger. It's just that, you know... By looks, that's the way it should be. But in the tales, oh, absolutely not. A gnome could kick, you know, my ass, your ass, as though it were nothing, and run away before you could do anything about it, and you'd have no chance of catching on. <laughs> and since gnomes were earth dwellers and, you know, lived within rocks and such, they would guard mines and treasures that were bound in the earth. In this way, gnomes essentially became synonymous with goblins, who we've already discussed. That's also where the ugly, gnarled men came from. And so, in various stories, gnome and goblin would become interchangeable as an antagonist. Yay, Fay. Gnomes are primarily found in tales of the Western world and have taken on different identities. In Scandinavia, they may be referred to as the Nisse or Tante. In this iteration, they are said to live for 400 years, are wise, industrious, and kind, as the gnomes you described. Uh, they are mostly always merry and believe in the importance of family. Uh, the females have only have one birth, but will typically produce twins. And so, you know, in this way, yeah, you're giving birth once, but A, you have two kids. Uh, they are seen as guardians of nature and animals, and will even give advice to farmers. While kind, they are secretive. They do not let anyone know where they live, and they will not teach their language to anyone that is not a gnome, and only appear when they want to. And if you insult them, they will steal, maim, or even kill. This characterization, I think, is definitely a strong influence on what they ended up doing with the gnome. You know, all of them are pretty much kind, have that lawful good, uh, or at least good alignment, that long life. They're industrious, you know, good workers. They're kind and seen with nature and animals. Uh, farmers would feed them bowls of rice porridge. And it may be from this iteration that the Garden Gnome has taken its personality as a ward against evil and bad luck. Germany takes a much less friendly look at gnomes. Stories from the Brothers Grimm has them as the gnarled old man that lives underground and guards treasure. So, this is where you'll get more of your Rumpelstiltskin, who has been called a gnome. Uh, in the Netherlands, they are called Kabooter. Probably mispronounced that to hell, but I mean, when you're trying to speak in 20 different languages, it gets kind of hard to figure out the pronunciations. Uh, they are said to live either underground or are household spirits that will help in the home. 
Males are described as having long, full beards, which helps to differentiate them from dwarves, who do not have full beards. In Netherland tales, uh, gnomes are believed to live in a wide variety of environments, each with their own slight differences. Forest gnomes rarely come across men, so they are the most skittish and the least likely you are to see. Garden gnomes live in gardens, and they love to tell stories. And those are the ones you'd probably get with the farmers and giving farming advice. Dune gnomes are slightly larger and dress in drab clothes. So gnomes might wear a bright blue and red caps, green caps, and everything else. Dune gnomes, you're probably going to get more of that tan or ruddy brown color clothing. House gnomes are the most knowledgeable of man, and it's from this type that gnome kings are chosen because you know gnomes are a monarchy across the country apparently or across the world but house gnomes are where you get the ones who are you're more likely to see speak english and will help you with chores around the house so they are the most uh quote unquote civilized and then farm gnomes are similar to house gnomes but tend to be more conservative and I do believe you see that with humans as well. When you get into more rural areas, you have more uh, conservative ideas, whereas in urban cities tend to have more what would be considered liberal or progressive, although those terms definitely mean entirely different things <laughs> in a world stage than they do in American politics. Uh, then there's the Siberian gnome which I never even knew was a thing. However, Siberian gnomes are gnomes that will associate with trolls and interbreed to create larger types with nastier behavior. So here you'll definitely get the more stronger, meaner, vicious, rather than just uh, deviant. Well, damn, uh, and here I thought interspecies breeding was just a human thing. <laughs> oh, no, we'll take our sins and pass it on to other creatures at the drop of a dime. Uh, gnomes have been used in various literary works. They sometimes are used in place of elves as helpers for Santa in his workshop. And that could be why, when you think of elves... Uh, if you're thinking Lord of the Rings, you see him as the five and a half, six foot tall, pale skin, long blonde hair. But if you ask a kid, he's thinking Santa's little helpers, you know, four foot tall, working in the workshop. It could be that it's not elves, but instead gnomes, which were then translated in different stories, thus creating that confusion. Uh, they are the main adversaries of the people of Oz within the Oz book, such as Wizard of Oz, Return to Oz. Uh, in fact, in the world of J.R.R.R. Tolkien, his uh, elf variant Noldor was originally going to be called gnomes before he decided to change it. They were considered the most gifted and technologically minded of his elvish races. They fit that archetype. And they are the proudest of the elves, but this also leads them into arrogance. Uh, that's not really going to be found in the Lord of the Rings proper, but as you get into his extended works, 
you'll come across them in their whole history. So that's the folklore around gnomes. Have any questions on any of that? <laughs> uh, no, not particularly, but what, what, okay, one question. What was, when you said the gnomes were, like, interbreeding to make more, like, vicious creatures or whatever, what were they interbreeding with? Trolls. Okay, all right. That's fucked up, but, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, uh, apparently uh, they were used to that harsh environment, and, you know, you're not close to anything else. Even a troll starts to look good. I mean, not my cup of tea, but who am I to yuck their yum, right? I guess, if you're in Russia or whatever, the Siberian, <laughs> whatever, you know, big old troll might look good. Might, <laughs> hell yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, so I did uh, kind of pick up a, a, a little piece of my notes that I wanted to kind of run through before we, we conclude entirely. Um, do you have anything more to add in, in your in your lore? Uh, no, that's it for the folklore portion. Uh, we're just going to examine, you know, now that we've looked at folklore and we know the D&D, how could you interpret some of it? But of course, you know, let's get your notes out there so that we don't make a recommendation where... You, you already have the answer to. Okay, perfect. I wanted to kind of, yeah, that's kind of how the segments have been going. I kind of wanted to get in between here just for a sec before we, we get to that part. But so I'll make it quick. Uh, in the, uh, I'm going to run through a handful of additions uh, and we're going to talk about a few things uh, as far as the gnome is concerned. So uh, um, in the original edition, gnomes were introduced as like a type of hobbit. <laughs> they had abilities similar to hobbits, including you know, moving silently, hiding in shadows, immune to uh, certain magical effects, you know, detecting traps, yada yada. In the second edition of D&D, uh, gnomes were given more distinct abilities and traits, uh, presented as, you know, a race of tinkerers and adventurers, or, or inventors, uh, skilled in the creation of magical and mechanical devices. Uh, this is the kind of uh, uh, identity that the gnomes kind of uh, have carried on to the more modern edition. Uh, they had a natural propensity for illusions and could speak with burrowing animals like badgers and moles, immune to some types of magic, you know, uh, and gain bonuses on their saving throws against uh, said magic. In third edition, you know, gnomes were given even more abilities and presented a, a highly curious and inquisitive race uh, with a deep understanding of the natural world, you know, uh, and um, not only that, this is kind of where the, the addition where, uh, uh, their natural talent for illusions was really leaned on hard and kind of, uh, more prominent. And then in fourth edition, uh, gnomes were significantly changed. They were, they were presented as a race of tricksters and jokesters with an irreverent attitude and, and love of chaos. <laughs> they had a knack for trickery and deception and, and could cast spells that allowed them to teleport short distances or, or, you know, uh, create uh, various types of energy and uh you know in fifth edition now you know no gnomes have been returned to their more traditional roots once again presented as a race of inventors and tinkerers with a, a love of magic and, and a natural affinity for both nature and illusions uh, and you know uh, um that being said i just kind of wanted to uh, bring a, a quick run through of all their of how it was kind of uh, uh, uh at least presented to me uh that uh, seems the more modern era of gnome has a lot to do with like AD&D, &D, you know, like second edition. 
uh, and uh, uh, this is kind of how they all, all, all change. You know, first edition, the gnome was just a subvariant of a hobbit, and then second edition, I don't even think they were allowed to say the word hobbit. You know, <laughs> so it's just weird how it kind of. Uh, and then fourth edition had its own whole, whole new wild take on the gnome altogether, and then now we've we've come uh, back to the uh, more modern tinkerer gnome. I just thought it was kind of a cool uh, depth through the. Uh, through the editions, but uh, anyway, uh, back to you. <laughs> and that is part of the fun, is just seeing how it evolves for better and for worse uh, throughout the various editions. All right, so looking at the folklore and the D&D versions, what changes could be made to the gnome to add a little flavor to make it make them uh more even and equal to each other i think the first thing is that the gnome should be able to move through the earth that should just be a standard that is their whole basis and introduction is that they are uh earth spirits you know they're elementals you could then get into some of the variants uh garden gnomes perhaps have more uh nature or intelligence based uh house gnomes might have a higher charisma bonus farm gnomes and definitely siberian gnomes get that strength modifier <laughs> and there should be a siberian gnome variant that's uh, at least a monster you know like you have a troll gnome how could that not be a monster <laughs> right yeah what yeah that that whole scenario should just be its own campaign book in and of itself <laughs> but i mean for the most part it is going to be played as it is there's just a few variations that you could really change it to fit more of the folklore aspect but not too much as we've said, I, I do think the gnome is perfect for an artificer, both in folklore as well as in D&D. You know, the industrious, the kind, the tinkerer with uh, alchemical spirits and whatnot. Like I said, it seems like the artificer was made for a gnome and then just allowed the other races to play it. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, that's about it. That's all I have. Uh, do you have any ideas after hearing the folklore of a change you might like to see? I do like the thought of, I think we talked about it back in the um, uh, uh, Halfling episode as well, but I do like how like 5e has kind of done away with the negative ability modifiers because when typically in Dungeons & Dragons, you... you as a gnome being a small character not only are you not very strong physically but also you're fairly slow you're you're a little bit behind and in, in like movement per round type of a speed so it would kind of be cool to see you know maybe uh slap a couple levels of monk into a a, a gnome that way you know you're uh bring your bring your speed and your, and your natural you know fighting capabilities up a little bit uh you know uh, perhaps instead of 
going uh, down five or ten feet because due to their small stature they should go up five or ten feet due to how vigorous they could pump those tiny legs you know <laughs> well yeah and you know in the tails they have a speed of 35 miles per hour meanwhile they're allowed 25 feet around whereas the average is 30. it's like yeah just because they're short doesn't mean they're going to have that little lace. They could have a little bump or a 25 feet while walking, 45 feet if running. Because <laughs> if you're going through a town, you're not going to run. Or as you're doing a cross country uh, thing, then yeah, you can use have them penalize the whole party by slowing down because you're going to walk through all that. But once you get into combat, you're not walking anywhere. You're running ass. And at that point, that's when their speed kicks in. <laughs> so it's like, all right, you're walking, it's 25, you're running, it's 45. All right, that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think that's all I got. Um, uh, people out there listening, you want to uh, look us up on uh, wherever you can find us uh, and give us a you know, uh, holler at us, give us a five star review uh, if you can and uh, you like what you hear. That way we can uh, maybe get into the ear holes of some uh, other peeps out there in the world with some uh, like minded hobbies. And um, if uh, you want to get a little bit more of Monsters and Mythos or maybe some other nerdy shit me and Chris happen to be doing, check out Tater Brain Pod. That's all one word. Uh, YouTube and Instagram channel and Chris how do they uh, get a hold of us directly maybe request some some uh, particular subjects they'd like us to uh, cover uh, if you have any questions comments or if there is a specific monster or race you want to hear covered sooner rather than later you can email us at monsters and mythos all spelled out at gmail.com